0: Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends and our Lord, this sacred season of Lent bids us pause and reflect in penitential posture on the suffering and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. But where do we begin? His pain for us was far more than that to which our own experience could ever relate. The significance of his death for us, we can't possibly begin to comprehend because of the limitations of our own mind, because of the hardness of the human heart. And therefore, his passion and his death cannot possibly be treasured and adored in this world as would be fitting and proper. But it is good and right and beneficial for us that we do consider our Lord's passion, and so we will. Tonight, then, we, those wounded, Wounded mortally by the fall, we begin to ponder our Lord's passion and his death. We ponder his wounds, the wounds he sustained for us. One of the treasures of this place in which we gather here is that it contains for us manifold, visible reminders of these symbols of his suffering. The obvious one, I think, is the magnificent crucifixion window. In faceted stained glass, the image of our suffering Savior, the sunlight beaming through it, magnifying the crimson marks of his passion, the crimson nail pierced piercings in his hands, his nail pierced feet, his side, the crimson spear mark in it from whence a, a braid is depicted in the window, a braid of water and blood mingling forth and down into communion chalice and baptismal flood, beautiful but this isn't the only place here that we see the marks of his passion the marks of our lord this processional crucifix just to the to your left of me here also if you were to look closely also depicts the passion wounds of our lord jesus christ and certainly you can look around this place and you can find many other images that depict the same thing one item one appointment though in our presence here that may not immediately come to mind is that paschal candle across the chancel for me the paschal candle the tallest of our sanctuary candles normally situated normally standing throughout most of the church here in the sanctuary baptistry as you look at it and look closely at it you may not easily notice the marks of our lord's passion on it frankly you were to look at the paschal candle far over here and look up closely at it, and you don't even see Christ depicted on it. But the marks are there on that candle. The marks are there, five of them. Five ruby red jewels, blood red jewels, if you will. Ruby red jewels in the shape of a cross born on the side of that candle that represents Christ. These five jewels, they depict the five traditional precious wounds of our Lord Jesus Christ. One, to represent the wound of Christ's head. A second in the middle, to represent the wound that he bore on his side. The two on either side of that, in the shape of the cross, to represent the wounds in his hands, and one at the foot of the shape of the cross, to represent the wound inflicted upon the feet of our Lord. Friends, as this Lenten tide, we, those afflicted by sin's mortal wound, ponder our Lord's passion, will be directed in our meditation by five wounds of Christ. The wound to his hands, the wound to his feet, that wound to his side, the wound to his sacred head, and the crushing wound to his soul. For it's his wounds, these wounds... It's by these wounds, so said the prophet, that we're healed. And so these being our guide tonight, we consider and contemplate the holy hands of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we say of the hands of the Son of God? Well, they're hands like ours in so many ways. His hands like ours once were very small, hands that instinctively... Learned the comforting and reassuring feeling of grasping a mother's little finger and holding on tight. And as time went on, that infant hand grew with that infant to become a boy's hand. And that hand slowly outgrew the regular grasp of the mother's hand in exchange for the customary grasp, the frequent grasp of a quill. And those hands of our Lord were then used to to pen words and to guide his young eyes across the scroll that he was learning to read. All of this as he grew, Scripture said, in wisdom and in stature before God and man. And as he grew in wisdom and in stature, I've little doubt that those hands of our Lord were put to work in his earthly father's carpentry business. An understudy, no doubt, of Joseph. I can imagine those young, those soft hands of his daily and weekly becoming raw and then calloused as he attentively learned the craft of working on wood and working with wood and hammer and nail, the very things that one day would pierce those precious hands of his. I can imagine our Lord humbly and obediently putting his hands to use, being about the the business of his father's trade, or respectfully being about the tedium of daily chores at the request of his mother. His hands, really so much like ours, Like us, he used his hands to wipe the sweat from his brow after toiling. To acquire his daily bread like we do, he used those hands of his perhaps to to help prepare the daily bread, but certainly to lift that daily bread up to his mouth. Because like you and like me, he needed sustenance and nourishment, being fully human, at the same time fully God. But knowing well that man does not live on bread alone, our Lord too would fold those hands are raised, those hands of his in solemn prayer to his heavenly father just as we do it's remarkable when you think about it in just how many ways his hands are like yours and like mine but dear friends in so many ways in so many other ways his holy hands are so unlike ours his hand his almighty hand was present to lay the very foundation of the world. His hand determined the world's measurements. His hand stretched forth the firmament in the sky. His hand placed the countless luminaries in their places in the sky, in the firmament. His hand traced for the planets, their orbits, for the comets, their paths. His hand has drawn the line in the sand of the shore where the proud waves must stop. In his hand, says the psalmist, are the deep places of the earth, and his hands form the dry land. His hand sheltered a nation, and by his hand he led them out of bondage. His hand parted seas and leveled armies. His hand, not so much like ours. Consider his holy hands and how, in so many ways, they're unlike our unholy hands. His never were active in those things unbecoming or unfitting of the children of God. His hands were never idle in laziness. They never laid hold of what rightly didn't belong to them. Unlike ours, His hands were never clinched in unjust fits of rage. His hands were never extended in abuse toward another. His hands never were accomplices in ungodly acts of sexual sins. His hands were never busy in the business of unkindness or hostility or immorality of any sort, open or in secret. His holy hands were always about His heavenly Father's business in perfect, active, and passive obedience. Obedience to the law of God, whether that law came thundering from heaven by the voice of His heavenly Father or spoken softly spoken softly by the voice of his God-appointed mother. His holy hands, so unlike ours, full of healing, full of help. How many times did they reach out and touch the untouchable and heal the lame and embrace the downtrodden and welcome the children? His holy hands reaching out to distribute a miraculous feast of fish and, and loaves to the hungry. His holy hands reaching down into the deep, And churning seas for a brother to raise up Peter and all the disciples for that matter. From the deep and troubling storm of fear and doubt raging within their souls that day in the boat. Consider his holy hands and how they did nothing but serve the unholy. Girding up loins to wash unclean feet. Consider how and consider why these sacred hands, as we heard, took bread. And after he gave thanks, they, the hands, his hands, took that and broke it. And by those hands he gave it to the disciples and he said, take and eat. This that I'm giving you is my body. Ponder how and contemplate why these holy hands of his then took the cup after supper. And after He had given thanks, these holy hands of His passed that cup into hands that were so unholy. And He said to them, Take and drink. This is My blood of the New Testament shed for you for the remission of all of your sins. Dear friends, the hands are the tools of the mind. And the hands are the agents of the heart. And therefore behold them, And let them tell you just what you mean to Jesus Christ. For you, his hands remained still, even while others were beating him and slapping him and scourging him with theirs. For your sake, his hands embraced the weight of the cross as he stammered under it to a place called Golgotha. For your sake and mine, he stretched out those holy and those precious and life-giving and sustaining hands on the cross and permitted those hands to be pierced through with nails of iron meant for the condemned and the ungodly. I tell you this, though. It wasn't the way in which those nails were driven into his hands that fixed him to the cross. No, it was his passionate desire for you, his zealous commitment to hand to you heaven. And to take you by the hand and and lead you there. The love of the nail pierced hands of our Lord Jesus Christ. And were we to stop and consider it all, we would determine most certainly that there's no safer place in all of the universe for our salvation to be than in the nail pierced hands of our Lord Jesus Christ. For what did he tell us? Do you recall? The good shepherd said to us, he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They shall never perish, nor shall anybody snatch them out of my hand. You see, he won't forget you. Because of his hands. For thus saith the Lord in the Old Testament, for I have graven thee, saith the Lord, on the palms of my hands. I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. Tonight we consider hands. Our hands, his hands, our hands over against his hands. Considering our hands over against his hands, perhaps you might feel like you're the one in that famed sleepwalking scene. From the Shakespearean classic Macbeth. Perhaps you recall it. It's been called a, a theatrical tour, of, tour de force, This scene one of the most celebrated scenes in all of Shakespeare. Lady Macbeth and her husband have seized the throne of Scotland, taken was what was not theirs to take, seized it by treachery, by murder, cover-up. And the guilt and the plague of the wrongs past, they simply won't leave Lady Macbeth alone, and and her guilt haunts her. Sorely, and it follows her, the guilt of King Duncan's blood on her hands pursues her and penetrates even into her dreams, so that by Act 5 of, of Macbeth, she's found walking and, and talking in the hallways of this castle. And so we come to the famous scene sleepwalking down a midnight hallway, lantern in her hand, rubbing her hands violently. Rubbing her hands violently, she utter, utters one of English literature's most famous lines, uttering, vi- rubbing violently her hands She yells out, out damn spot, out I say, out. And then she says, will these hands never be clean? Will these hands never be clean? You wonder, will these hands never be clean? Because of his hands, they already are. Ponder tonight the works of Christ's holy hands. And then let us give thanks for all that they've done. In his blessed name. Amen.